Hello Life Changes Church, welcome to our YouTube channel. We have got an amazing word prepared for you, so why don't you take out your notebook and your pen as we get ready to listen to what God has for us. It is lovely to be together tonight uh, here at church, and God is doing something really profound with us, and uh, it's a huge privilege to have you here. I've been a part of Life Changes now for going on 13 years, 13 years, and Life Changes has changed in, a, in its shape and form. When I first arrived, uh, driving down in my Toyota Conquest in January 2010, I came to be the youth pastor of Life Changes, which at that stage just had one congregation. They met at Tableview at 9 a.m. in the morning, and it was a, a small gathering, and there was no young people. Literally, there was no young people. So when I arrived as a 20-year-old, as a, as a I looked around, and I had to decide who was going to be my friends, and it was pretty easy. Anyone who was in the 20 to 40 age bracket, I was like, you, 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 we're friends. That's it. And, uh, but God has done something so remarkable over the next 13 years as we've grown as a church, as we've expanded into, now we've got two venues, and, and God has been doing amazing things. But I remember that first year in quite a significant way because I was the, the, only the third staff member. There was the guy, Wally, who led the church, his secretary, Jeannie, and myself, the youth pastor. And uh, because of that, I was invited into all the meetings. Because of that, I was the only guy who was doing everything, and I loved it. I thrived in the space. And uh, because of that, I, even though I was 20 and a young man, I was also inv invited into the, the elders' meeting. And that sounds very intimidating. I know, the elders' meeting. But it's, it's just it's a biblical word under determining who the, the leaders are in the church, the main leaders. And I was invited into that space, and I would sit in these meetings knowing that I wasn't an elder, but I was in these, these spaces, and I was, I'd, I'd hear all the conversations, I'd add value. And then over that year, as I was giving more and more to the church, and there was uh, the, the team there, and they're having conversations, Wally was saying, oh, actually, I think, Gabe, even though you're a young man, I want to bring you onto eldership. And, and I was 21, and I was like, you know, I don't, I don't mind, I don't need a title or anything. I'm just here to serve Jesus in my naive reality. But what would happen in that moment as that, that conversation between Wally and I had, was going on, I didn't know that he actually hadn't spoken to some of the elders. And in that moment came where he said to the elders, we're going to bring Gabe on, and I'm in this meeting with him. And the elders, I thought they would stand up, have a round of applause, and go, you are the man God has called to come and help our church. And like the bright light was shine on me, and I'll say, thank you, thank you. It's, yeah, I'm here, I'm here, the answer to your prayers. It didn't go that way. It went down like a lead balloon. They went, <laughs> really? You know, when you can hear the, the coughing and you can hear the crickets in the background. And I was like, oh, this is awkward. Should I leave the room? Because one by one, they started to voice their disapproval. They're, they're, they're not sure about this. And, and, and maybe some of it rightly so, but they had questions in the process and they started to ask these questions about it. And I was really quite awkward. I'm like, I'm in the room here, guys. Should I, can I step out? And then I just remember one word and all this discussion going back and forth. One, one of the voices said, this guy cannot do it because he's unqualified. And I remember going to my heart, and I left that meeting go, trying to get quite fed up and saying, you know, church politics, and I'm, I'm out of it. I'm going back to Durban. I, I don't need these guys anymore. And, and I remember being so, so hurt, so broken, and this word was rattling in my heart, unqualified. And I, I remember distinctly going to the engine garage, pulling in there. I was fuming, and I thought, there's, there's only one thing I need to do. I need to phone my dad. I need to phone Rowan Phillips back in Durban. And I phoned him. And I started to protest. I started to tell my dad the situation. And he was quiet. He was listening on the other end. And, and I, I was giving vent to my frustration. Anyone been there before where you just, you just find a, a listening ear and you're like, let me tell you how unfair and how dreadful and life sucks. And I'm like, these guys, this is what they said and, and all these realities. And at the end, as I took a breath, I said, so what do you think, dad? I think I, I need to come home. I just need to come home. Let's leave it all behind. I'm coming home. 
And my dad, and I don't know if he fully even remembers the conversation, but there was just a one line in his way that he always does, just in a quiet way, just I had one line to me. He said, who called you to Cape Town? And I just knew that he had me in checkmate with one line. Just like, I'm, uh, and I, I didn't like it. I'm like, no, 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 no. Because if, I'm like, Dad, no, but you know, let me tell you what they said. And he was like, cool, I, I hear you. I hear you. That's dreadful. That's terrible. That's unfair. Oh, yeah, not right, yeah. Who called you there? And I had to reluctantly settle down, simmer my heart and say, God called me here. God called me here. And in that moment, as this word unqualified was shouting over my head as, and all my feelings and my justifications, I really believe in that moment in an engine parking lot, the future and destiny for Gabe Phillips was waging war. And I didn't even know it in that moment. I thought it was just another slight, another moment, and I could just move around and actually shift around. But actually, God was saying, actually, will you be obedient to what I have called you to, despite what you hear, despite what you see, because I've got a future for you. A story that's easy to tell 13 years on this side. But in the moment, it was really a tough moment. But I realized in that moment, I had to choose whether I was going to live for the approval of man or was going to live for the attention of God. And I want to say in this reality tonight that for us to truly live, something first has to truly die. If we are going to truly live and walk into the call that God has for us, something first has to truly die. And for God to be truly the king in your life, someone, someone and oftentimes yourself, has to first get off the throne. So I want to take us to scripture tonight, Isaiah chapter 6. It'll be on the screen behind us as we read eight verses together, and then we'll speak through it very quickly. Isaiah chapter 6 verse 1 reads as follows, In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord, high and exalted, seated on a throne, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him were seraphim, each with six wings. With two wings they covered their faces. With two they covered their feet. And with two they were flying. And they were calling to one another, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. At the sound of their voices, the doorposts and thresholds shook and the temple was filled with smoke. Woe to me, I cried, I am ruined, for I am a man of unclean lips and I live among a people of unclean lips. And my eyes have seen the king the Lord Almighty. Then one of the seraphim flew to me with a live coal in his hand, which he had taken with tongs from the altar. With it he touched my mouth and said, See, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin atoned for. Then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? And I said, Here am I, send me. Father, I pray for us as a people tonight as we gather with the faint sound of the generator in the background. We realize in this moment, in the here and now, it might just seem like another ordinary Sunday night, but I believe that the destinies of men and women are being is being waged war for. Right now, give us eyes to see what you are doing. Give us hearts to perceive what you are doing so we may be able to step in obedience to what you called us to. I thank you, God, for us to truly live. Something first needs to truly die. Today, we want to die to ourselves, die to the fear of man, die to the voice of man, die to living for the approval of man, and we want to see the Lord. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen, amen. If everyone's alive, give me a wave tonight. Give me a wave, give me a wave. Come on, there we go. We're going to lean in together. I want to give us eight points. Yes, eight points. Come on, people, lean in. Take notes if you need to. Out of this text that I believe that we need to see if we're going to see our future. Number one, I hope that we need to see that God is alive. God is alive. Come on. Because the scripture starts saying, in the year that King Uzziah died, 
Yes, something had died. Yes, the, the political climate had changed in the moment, but Isaiah doesn't stop there at the end of that. It's not a full stop. The year that King Uzziah died, oh, everything ground to a halt. No, in the year that King Uzziah died, he said, I saw the Lord. And this is the reality for you and I. The death of Isaiah in this moment is not the most important thing for Isaiah. The devastating destruction, the loss, the pain, the rampant fear are not the most important things for him right now in that moment. Therefore, for him, there was something more important to see. And I want to state this for my own heart. In this world where our hearts are gripped by politics, gripped by Instagram, gripped by YouTube links, gripped by the fear of our nation and what is happening on Monday, what have the EFF got planned, what is going to happen in this nation, and we start to make decisions and start to uh, surrender our destinies based on the voices of the world around us, I want to point us to see the Lord because number one, Vladimir Putin will die. <laughs> Didn't want to expect a big amen there, but anyway, Boris Johnson will die. Donald Trump will die. Joseph Biden will die. Zuma will die. Ramaphosa will die. Helen Zilla will die. Malema will die. Steenhazen will die. And in just over 100 years, every single person on this planet who's drawing breath right now will be dead. You came to church for some good news, eh? Not one of us will still be here. We'll all be dead. Kings and kingdoms will rise. They will fall. And in Time Magazine in April 1966, they declared that God was dead. And yet, they were wrong. He never had a beginning and therefore depends on nothing for his existence. He always has been and always will be alive. Leaders have come and gone. They've, nations have risen and fallen, but Jesus stands unchallenged. So I say to you today, don't have anxiety and give power over to governments, to political power, to rioters, to the fears inside of you. Is this nation going the way of Zimbabwe? Don't give your destiny over to the fear, the voice of fear in your life. I want to tell you because the scripture says, why do the nations rage in vain? The one who rules in heaven laughs. And let me tell you, God is laughing not because he's uncaring, but because he is alive. Number one, God is alive. Secondly, God is authoritative. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord high and exalted. He didn't just see the Lord, he saw him high and exalted. And John Piper has this quote, it'll be on the screen behind me. It says, no vision of heaven has ever caught a glimpse of God plowing a field or cutting his grass or shining his shoes or filling out reports or loading a truck. Heaven is not coming apart at the seams. God is never at a wit's end with his heavenly realm. He sits and he sits on a throne all is at peace, and he has control. I want to tell you the shortest and most powerful piece of theology that you'll ever learn. Do you want to be theological scholars? Here you go. This is the theological nugget I'm going to put deep in your heart. It says this, Jesus is Lord. Full stop. Jesus is Lord. And, and, the, and, and in the book of Acts, Peter is preaching to people, and he, says, he said, this Jesus has been made both Lord and Christ, Lord and Savior. And I think our world, we love Jesus being Savior. Rescue me, as one Republic once sang. No, rescue me, save me, redeem me. Oh, I need you, God. And, and that's, that's perfect. That's who he's called to be. He's our Savior. Yes, 100%. But a lot of us don't battle with calling him Savior. We struggle to call him Lord, meaning that everything is his, that actually I'm not on the throne. He is. And I want to tell you in this moment, we are people who have to declare to our emotions, declare to our fears, declare to our insecurities that Jesus is Lord. If you want to know how to, how to fight anxiety, learn to see the Lord high and exalted, 
high above the storms of this world. I believe it's time for the church to truly bow a knee. We're moving fast through this. Number three, God is omnipotent. He's alive. He's authoritative. And that word omnipotent basically means all-powerful. You see, we know there's a dearth of leadership around the world. You just have to look at our nation. You just have to look around the nations at large. It literally is like we're living in, 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 a, in an episode of Game of Thrones. Just like, who's in charge? Who's taking over? And if you just skip a few episodes, there's a new leader saying, no, it's my voice that's powerful, not mine. And there's actually this, in reality, there's a whole bunch of empty thrones. But I want to tell you, there is a throne in heaven, and it is occupied. It is occupied, and it's occupied by Almighty God. His throne is not one amongst many thrones. It is high and lifted up. I want to put this deep in our, in our anxiety-ridden hearts, that there is not a cosmic battle between God and Satan. No, God is God, and the enemy is living on borrowed time. I love the fact that the, the Bible tells us in the book of Colossians, it says that he existed before anything else, and he holds it all together. So the Bible tells us that, that the world was created by the breath of his mouth, that by the, words, the word that was spoken, let there be light, boom, there was. The Bible goes on and says that actually this planet is sustained by the word of his mouth. It was created and it was sustained by the word of his mouth. That that means this in this moment that if God removed his breath from humanity or if he retreated, we would all drop down dead like that, Thanos style. Wow. Boom, gone. That's what it'll be. The mere fact that you and I have breath means that he is still in control. This is the good news right now. Let me tell you, he hasn't backed away from creation. You're not on your own. He sustains it all by the word of his mouth. So if the world is feeling random, out of control, or falling apart, he's still got the whole world in his hands. He's still all powerful. The scripture goes on. Number four says that God is alive. He's authoritative. He's all powerful. God is holy. He says, I saw the Lord seated on a throne high and lifted up. And the train of his robe filled the temple and says, then they saw this angelic vision and he says, what were the angels saying? The angels were saying, calling to one another night and day, holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. That's what the angels saying on repeat, night and day, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The angels have another glimpse of them and they go, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. Not because their vocab is limited, but because their sight has seen the holiness of God. And let me tell you, why does it say holy, holy, holy times three? Why is it three holies? Well, I'm glad you asked because, good question, everybody. You see, when they say holy, 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 it's similar to our, if, you, if you're writing a Microsoft Word, bold, italics, underlined, exclamation emphasizing something of significance. But also, the Hebrew emphasis says when there's repetition, it's saying this is of importance. When there's, in, the, in, the, in the scriptures, if you see there's repetition, it's, it's almost like God saying this is very, very important. This is NB. You see, Paul writes twice in the book of Galatians, chapters one, verse eight to nine, that those preaching a contrary gospel should be accursed. So he's saying if somebody comes and preaches a gospel that's different to that of Jesus Christ, they are accursed. And he says it twice to say that is so important. Let me tell you, likewise, Jesus, when he's teaching, he prefaces his words with these words, amen or amen, or he says, truly, truly, or verily, verily, as the New King James would say. When he says that, truly, truly, he's basically saying, listen up, listen up, it all is, this is very important. But let me tell you, I love the fact that when it comes to the angels and their view of God, they're not content with just holy. 
and neither are they just content with holy, holy. They say it three times, holy, holy, holy. They take it to the third degree, the superlative degree. And there's no other attribute of God that is praised like this. Not as love, not as mercy, not as justice, not as sovereignty, just holy, holy, holy. It's of significance. And I want to ask you, have you seen his holiness? In the year the king Uzziah died, I saw the Lord, the God who's alive, a God who is powerful, a God who's authoritative, a God who is holy, fifthly, a God who is glorious. It says the whole earth is full of his glory. I saw the Lord and the whole earth was full of his glory. When we say the word glorious, I want to tell you what that means is the fact that God is transcendent. That's a fancy word to say that he's far above. His thoughts and his ways are higher than ours. He knows the beginning from the end. He dwells in unapproachable life. He is transcendent. And yet at the same time, God is imminent, which means that he's closer than your hands and feet. It means that he knows your deepest thoughts. He knows the amount of hairs on your head. He is the God of all comfort. Let me tell you, no other religion has a God who is glorious. A God who is all-powerful and a God who is closer than your hands and feet. This is incredible. There's no God like our God. He's the creator and the eternal judge of our souls. And in the same day, he's the deepest comforter of our souls in the darkest moment. Who can know the mind of God? Let me tell you, this is who God is. God is glorious. He is Yahweh. I am who I am. He is Jehovah Imkadesh, the God who sanctifies. He's Jehovah Jireh, the God who provides. He's the Jehovah Shalom, God your peace. He's Jehovah Rapha, the God who heals. He's Jehovah Nissi, the Lord your banner. He's El Shomri, God your protector. He's El Eloah, who's God strong, mighty, and prominent. He's El Shaddai, God Almighty. He's Elohim, the God of absolute strength and power. He's immutable, saying he does not change. He says he's immortal, I always live. He's omniscient, saying I'm all-knowing. He's omnipotent, saying I'm all-powerful. He's omnipresent, saying I am everywhere. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord, and he was glorious. And I think too often we've been sold a weak, weak image of God. We've been sold a God, uh, uh, dear baby Jesus. How do you picture your Jesus? I'll tell you, no, 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 not how do you picture your Jesus. How do you see the real Jesus? They'll dictate your future, your destiny, your heart. Let me tell you, sixthly, he's alive. He's authoritative. He's all-powerful. He's holy. He's glorious. And then sixthly, man is sinful. Because Isaiah, after seeing all this, has the only appropriate response. He says, woe to me. I am ruined. For I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips. And my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. Let me tell you, the problem in this world and in this nation isn't race. It isn't poverty. It isn't political. It isn't sexual. It isn't relational. It is S-I-N. It is sin. The biggest issue is sin in the world. It's not a skin issue, it's a sin issue. Every other conversation, no, no, we just need to do this, let me do it. I want to tell you right now, Jesus, when he came, the question they said to him was, are you here to free us from the Romans? He said to are you here to free us from the political oppression? Or maybe the spiritual oppression, the religious oppression, from the Pharisees and the Sadducees, that stronghold. And Jesus says, no, 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 I'm here to do something greater. I'm here to free you of sin. 
Let me tell you, COVID, riots, looting, economy collapse, lack of safety, lack of future, finance, ESCOM, whatever you want to put in there is not our biggest concern. Sin is. And before we can stand against it out there, we have to fight it, fight against it in here. Too much of the church run out causal. Wow, let's go stand on the and pickets. The, actually, no, the church needs to get on their knees and see the Lord. And if we truly see the Lord, we'll say, no, woe is me. Let me tell you, black people, white people, Indian people, colored people, Asian people, none of us are enlightened. None of us get a free pass. All are sinful. And culture has us believing that the answer is within us. If we just dig deep enough, if we just come together enough. But I want to tell you, until we truly see the Lord, we'll keep comparing ourselves to them and to they and to what they did and what they are doing and never take responsibility for our own sin. The cure for South Africa, I believe, is in politics. It's not education. It's not food aid or even unity. It is Jesus. Unequivocally, I stand on that because I really, be, to be honest, Nelson Mandela said, I, I have a vision of a rainbow nation. I believe in South Africa. I want to tell you, wonderful, but I don't believe in South Africa. South Africa left its own devices will get more and more sinful. I believe in Jesus. And I proclaim Jesus. In the year King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord. Seventhly, yes, man is sinful, but seventhly, God is forgiving. Then one of the seraphim flew to me with a live coal in his hand, which he had taken with tongs from the altar. With it, he touched my mouth and said, See, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin atoned for. I want to tell you, tell my own heart, that the blood of Jesus is our only hope. It's our only defense. It's our only protection. It's our only peace. It's our only provision. It's our only purity. It's our only promise. This is the reality. I want to tell you that we have to understand the blood of Jesus. We have to know that forgiveness is not cheap. This is what he has done. And the enemy will love to have the voice of man declare over you unqualified. And maybe the voice of man is right. But thank God that we have a God who says, I will overcome that voice with the blood that speaks a better word a better word that you do not deserve. I tell the story, a uh, reality, that I've had this, uh, this, it's a great preacher's analogy, but imagine that it's you in the boxing ring against Satan. And it's you versus him. And you know, you've, you've been living righteous for a while. You've been doing well. You've been coming to church. You're, you're on the front foot. You, you know, when the, when the worship leader says, lift your hands, you lift your hands. You're not even gonna argue. Oh, we're fine, I'm in. You're quite a good, you're a good guy. And you're in there and you feel like you're getting a little bit of momentum. But then all of a sudden, the enemy just reminds you of your shortcoming. He reminds you of that addiction. He reminds you of that habit. Reminds you of that flaw, that insecurity. And he lands a punch right there. Like, Whoa, and that's big. And he gets you on the rope again. Left, right, left, right. Guilt and shame. And you're right on the ropes and you, you're almost going. And then there's one final blow and you're down on the mat out for the count. You're out. And the referee comes and starts to count. The crowd are, are cheering. Come on, get up. Come on, get up. The referee says, one, two, three, and, and there's just no breath in you. And the enemy starts to walk around. He's flexing on the top rope going, undefeated. I got him again. And people are cheering, come on, please, get up. Four, five, six. And the enemy is now going, look at me, man, singing Lady Gaga songs. He's going big. He's saying, all hell is breaking loose. Now eight, nine, and there's a deathly hush. The referee says, 10. And the enemy goes, yes, finished. And then as the, the enemy is about to take the title belt, 
The referee takes a breath and goes, 11, 12, 13. And then, wait a minute, wait a minute, this is not fair. What, what are you saying? Why are you doing this? He goes, no, the referee goes, well, I forgot to tell you. And the referee opens up and says, my name is Grace. And he says, here's the thing. When you think you're counted out, Grace keeps on counting. 14. 15, 16, 17, let me tell you, when you think you're sinful, when you think you're disqualified, when you've been so buried, grace keeps counting and calling, saying, God will, God's forgiveness will always trump your man's sinfulness, if you allow him to. He is supreme in our salvation. He is supreme over this nation. He will have the final say. In the year King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord. Eighth and finally, God is alive. God is authoritative. God is all-powerful. God is holy. God is glorious. Man is sinful. God is forgiving. And eighthly and finally, God is calling. Then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? And I said, Here am I. Send me. I take you back to that car, an engine garage. In that moment, that voice for me as a young 21-year-old, unqualified, it felt like, the year that King Uzziah died. Like, it felt like, maybe I'm being dramatic, it felt like my future died. It felt like I was done, I want to go home, I'm over it. But because of a voice that said, who called you? I had to go back and say, in the year that this thing died, will I see my failure? Will I see man's flaws? Or will I see the Lord? And I want to tell you, during COVID, we saw that the governments around the world decried churches as unessential. Celebrities and influencers have belittled and marginalized the church. And Christians ourselves, we've trivialized her and our inf infants to an hour or an hour and 15 on a Sunday. But I, I have this burning desire to sound the clarion call of God for you and I. I really believe you're not in here by accident. You're not in here making up numbers. You're not in here ticking something off. You're here. This is your engine garage moment. Where well, I want to say to you, who called you? Who called you? When you feel you're disqualified, you feel that the, the weight of the world's upon you, I want to tell you, who called you? Because I want to tell you, God is calling again his bride to awaken. He says in Ephesians, wake up, O sleeper! Arise from the dead, and Christ will shine upon you. This is a dangerous calling. I really believe you and I, as I scan this room, we were born for such a time as this. We were born for this moment. We could have been born in any other decade. God looked, God looked at the humanity's history and said, you know what, That's Apostle Paul's got that one covered. Moses, Abraham, they've got that one covered. You know, they've got all the, all the all, Martin Luther, yes, all those guys, reformers, they've got that one covered. But when he looked at the decade called 2020 and the chaos and the, the epidemics and the brokenness and the, the illicit pornography and abortion and identity crisis and people going, what are we going to do? And people trying to, looking for some hope in the world. He said, I see a people called life changers. I see Gabe Phillips and I'm going to put them there. What about Apostle Paul now? No, no, I don't need them. I need these people in that moment. You were born for such a time as this. And I want to tell you, Charles Spurgeon, any sermon's good, not good until you quote Charles Spurgeon. But he said, if sinners are to be damned, let them have to leap into the flames over our outstretched arms. And I think too long the church have been standing with a posture of disinterest or a posture of accusation when the church has been called to be, emulate Christ with our arms outstretched saying, no, don't go that way. This is the call that God has for you and I. Stand up, speak up, lay your life down. This is the impossible call because the story finishes in Isaiah chapter six when Isaiah is saying, here I am, I'll go for you. And God's saying, they won't listen. God says, they won't obey. But he says, but will you go anyway? 
wow. This is when if you are wanting to step into the impossible, something first has to die. Let me tell you, our power has never been from our gathering. It's never been from the size of our numbers. The power of the church has never been whether we're on the right side of politics or not. The power of the church has never been whether we've got the rhetoric or not. The power has never been in our ability. It's always been in an empty grave. It's always been from an empty grave. And I won't tell you tonight, I believe as I'm preaching, the enemy has been shouting and declaring over your lives, over your parenting, over your relationships, over your ability trying to overcome that addiction. Unqualified! Unqualified, and you think you've thought, I'm so anxiety ridden, I want to throw in the towel. I'm so lust driven, I want to throw in the towel. The secret shame is eating me up. I don't know what to do. I want to throw in the towel. I want to say to you now, this moment, who called you? I want to tell you, who called you God who is alive, a God who's authoritative, a God who's all powerful, a God who's holy, a God who's glorious, a God who's forgiving, and a God who's calling you afresh. Can we stand to our feet? You think it's hot down there without the aircons? Just imagine what it is up here with these lights. But let me tell you, for you and I to truly live, something first has to die. And for God to be truly king in your life, someone else first needs to get off the throne. I believe this is a night for us to say, God, I want to see you. Everything in the enemy's artillery, his armory, it wants you to see your sin, see your failure, see your shame, see your disqualification. But I believe God is saying to those, maybe your, your humility say, I am on the mat, I'm down and out. But I want you to hear grace that keeps on counting when you think you've been counted out. Why don't you close your eyes? Father, I thank you for your people. I thank you for your church. These are your people that you have bought with the precious blood of Jesus. Not with silver or gold or something cheap or earthy. This is a heavenly currency, an eternal currency. You have purchased men for God. And I thank you, God, tonight as we gather in the sound of the generator, in our proverbial engine garage moment. It might seem ordinary, but heaven is calling. Destiny is calling, saying, will you see me? Will you lift your eyes? Will you lift your eyes to see the Lord. Right now, with every eye closed, if you, in this moment, you are saying, I, I have lived for too long in the driver's seat of my life. I want to give control to God. I've been trying to direct my destiny. I've been trying to pull it and wrench it away, and I've been running away from what God is calling me to, or I'm not too sure what's going on, but, I, but tonight I want to give complete control to a God who is high and exalted. If that's you and you're saying, actually, I, I need to surrender afresh, and I'm the first one to lift my hands up. If that's you, why don't you lift your hands? Not to me, but to heaven. Fathers, we lift our hands as we surrender in this room. I thank you, Father God, that you, in this moment, the simplicity of this moment, you are redirecting destinies. You are redirecting futures. We may not see it in this moment, but in 10, 20 years' time, we'll point back to moments where we said, I heard the voice of God saying, who called you? I thank you, Father God, that you right now are rewiring our unqualified natures. You're rewiring those proclivities to give to our ears to the voice of man. And we would hear the voice of God saying, whom shall I send? Who will go for me? And we'll say, here I am. Send me, Lord. I thank you, Father God. Would you do this by your power right now? And where sons and daughters have felt like they've been counted out by the enemy, 
by their sin, by their shame. They feel they've been disqualified. I thank you, Father. We hear the voice of grace saying, I keep on counting when you think you counted out. 11, 12, 13, 14, 15. I thank you. No longer counting men's sins against them, but you keep counting us to get up off the mat and walk into the future you have for us. I thank you, God. Would we receive this? Would you put it deep in our hearts? And I thank you, God, in the year that King Uzziah died, we saw the Lord. Thank you for this. In Jesus' name, amen. What an amazing, amazing word. If you would like to find out about what's happening in the life of the church, why don't you follow us on our social media, Instagram or Facebook, or you can go into our website, lifechanges.org.za. Thank you so much for watching that video. Be blessed.